Hello there, this is Fiona, host and main GM for What Am I Rolling, a twice-monthly RPG one-shot podcast. This is a bonus Q&A episode to tide us over to the next one-shot, and it is indeed a very special Q&A, as this week I had the absolute pleasure of interviewing award-winning game writer Andrew E.C. Gasker. With over two decades of experience in comics and video game industries, it's safe to say that Drew has a long list of credits to his name. Notably, his freelance consulting work for 20th Century Fox has seen him write a number of series reference bibles, streamline in-universe canon, and create detailed timelines for legacy franchises such as Alien, Predator, and Planet of the Apes. Drew's tabletop work includes a critically acclaimed Alien role-playing game, as well as a Terminator RPG and Carbon Grey RPG. Recently, it was announced that, along with the new re-release of his graphic novel, Critical Millennium, The Dark Frontier, Drew would also be working on an RPG for Critical Millennium, both scheduled to be out in the second quarter of next year. It was great to finally talk to Drew about his work, and how his writing really immerses players and GMs in these iconic sci-fi series. I highly recommend checking out his work, especially the Terminator RPG, as I do feel that's a little bit underrated considering how many cool game mechanics are in it. I'll put links to Drew's blog and his work in this episode show notes. So I'm supposed to hit leave meeting, right? No. no. <laughs> oh, no, please. <laughs> oh, my, all my anxiety comes out in one. If you wouldn't mind, could you introduce yourself? Who are you and what do you do? Hi, I'm Andrew E.C. Gaska. I am a author and game writer. I'm the writer of the Alien role-playing game, which is one, I think, nine awards in the past three years so many awards <laughs> yeah it's hard to keep track um what you, and that's what a, a humble brag <laughs> yes, no no in all seriousness i tell people that i made it 48 years of my life without a single award and then i screwed it up <laughs> <laughs> you were so close to that milestone <laughs> yeah 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 i've written a couple of planet of the apes novels i'm a franchise consultant for 20th century studios and disney on planet of the apes alien and predator i mm-hmm. wrote the internal predator bible over at uh, 20th century studios mm-hmm. i've written a couple of choose your own adventure graphic novels i'm the writer of the terminator role-playing game mm-hmm. and a new role-playing game called carbon gray based on a graphic novel my own graphic novel critical millennium came out 12 years ago and it's got a it's it's gonna have a resurgence coming up shortly which we'll talk about later mm-hmm. so yeah i've been around the block yeah that's what a nice story <laughs> i've been around yes absolutely <laughs> there is a pattern i guess to your stuff. it does seem very much sci-fi or sort of 80s was there a particular like film or or a genre not even a genre but something that got you into certainly writing in the initial stages was there something that you're like i want to now write now was it like a book or a film well, the funny thing is is that like i didn't realize i was going to be a writer until i made it halfway through college okay <laughs> from like five years old i was going to be an artist mm. okay and i um didn't realize what i was doing in my life like with my toys and friends and then with role playing and if when you trace it all back you can see this dude was a writer i just mm-hmm. didn't realize it like yeah. when kids would come over with their star wars figures and we'd all play star wars figures star wars is the thing that started all this for me okay right right um there'd always be some kid who has got another luke skywalker figure that he wants to play so we have two luke skywalkers and i'm like <laughs> you know seven years old and i'm like no 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 all right wait <laughs> That, okay, the Empire's created a clone of Luke, and we don't know which one's the real Luke. I, I'd make up stories for right. all, it all made sense. Mm-hmm. Um, and some friends hated me for it, and some were like, oh, that's cool. Um, 
the first time I role played Dungeons and Dragons, it was a disaster. The party, I was a player, not a GM, mm. and the party turned against each other and they all killed each other. And I quietly hid in the shadows and decided I would GM from then on. <laughs> So, yeah. So um, growing up, uh, I was in special art programs that mm. you had to have a certain grades for and stuff like that. And mm-hmm. what do you call it? I always thought I was going to be an artist. In high school, I was in advanced art programs and I was like, this is it. This is where I'm going. I went mm. to the School of Visual Arts for college mm-hmm. and I was one of the best artists in my high school. But everybody who goes to art college was the best artist in their high yep. school. Yep. So yep. now yep. it's a new level. And I just couldn't cut that level. Okay. Mm-hmm. And we were required to take a writing class as part of the, I have a degree in comics of all things. It's technically a fine arts degree with a concentration in comics, but, but Denny O'Neill from Batman fame, uh, he was in charge of Batman for 15 years. He's, he's did a lot of groundbreaking things in comics since the sixties. Right. And he Mm -hmm. passed away a couple of years ago. He was my writing teacher at the school Mm -hmm. and my parents ran out of money and couldn't afford for me to keep going to college. Mm-hmm. And I was at a crossroads because I knew, you know what? I, I'm not as good at this art thing as I thought I was. I don't know what I want to sure. do. So rather than taking out loans at that point, I decided I was going to drop out for a while. I eventually went back mm-hmm. um, and finished it all. And I went to Denny and I told him, I was like, listen, I'm very sorry. I'm not going to be in your class next semester. I love this class, but I, my parents can't afford it. And he says, no, 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 no. I'm going to take you out and tutor you privately. And we're going to get you a a script that's going to go in the draw at DC. Mm -hmm. And I don't know if you know what that term means in the drawer, but basically, basically the way it used to work is, I don't know if you ever read comics in the eighties or or anything like that, but like eighties comics, eighties, you'd be in the middle of a storyline. And then suddenly there'd be this random story that was a single issue. And you'd be like, what the hell is this? (laughs) And then the storyline would continue after that. And that's because the creative team on the main book fell behind. Right. And they said, pull this out of the drawer, get someone to draw this. And it'll be the next thing. So we worked on a Catwoman script together and they bought it for the drawer, but Catwoman never fell behind. So it never came out. But it was Denny who made me realize I was a writer, but I thought I'm going to write comics. This is going to, this is my career comics. Okay. Mm -hmm. And I wound up getting work from Rockstar Games, uh, doing Mm -hmm. graphics and stuff for uh, Grand Theft Auto and Red Dead Redemption and stuff like that. I worked Mm -hmm. for them for 17 years, Mm -hmm. starting with GTA three, all the way through Red Dead Redemption. And one day in like 2005, I went to a comic shop just to, you know, get comics. So I was still a comic fan. And there was a new Planet of the Apes comic on the shelf. Mm. And I saw it and I thought, oh, wow, this is great. Who's doing this? Marvel, DC. And it was somebody called Mr. Comics. And I was like, if Mr. Fucking Comics can get a license, why can't I? Right. And so I had the money at the time because I was making money from Rockstar. Yeah. So I hired an entertainment lawyer and decided to try to get some licenses. And I went after Star Trek. I went after Planet of the Apes, and I was a fan of Space 1999, so I went after that as well. So an unknown company at the time called IDW, which is a huge comic company now, yeah, they outbid me on Star Trek, so they wound up getting the Star Trek license. Right. But Mr. Comics, their comic series was great, but they never collected it and sent it to bookstores, and Fox was not happy that that had happened. So they decided not to renew their license with them, and they said that, you know, come to licensing expo, we'll talk and maybe you can get the license from us. So my entertainment lawyer and I go and we meet with them at licensing expo. That was in New York then. And now, nowadays, licensing expo every year is in uh, Vegas. I start explaining them what I want to do because I want to do comics, graphic novels, blah, blah, blah. And, and they're like, whoa, 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 wait. You want to do comics? We're not happy with comics after what happened with Mr. Comics. We don't want to do comics right now. Right. And I'm like, I've been working to get this happen. So I'm like, well, when I say comics, 
I kind of mean a novel with paintings, like mm. sort of like that Aliens Tribes things you guys did in 1991. And Debbie O'Shawn was the woman who was the licensing exec then. And she goes, Aliens Tribes is the favorite project I've ever worked on. You have your license. Nice. Nice. <laughs> so I pulled this out of my butt. Yeah. And I was like, great. Okay. I don't write novels, so I can't write this now. This was my thinking was I said I can plot it, mm -hmm. but my friends I had at the time wanted to be novelists. So I said, I said, guys, you want to write this and you know, I'll plot it with you. And and we started working on it. And how do I say this? They wound up leaving the project because they couldn't handle it. Okay. Right. Okay. And they left me holding the bag that I paid this license for. And you know, we we did this work. I did all this work. I've been paying for paintings and stuff. And now we had no one to write this. Mm -hmm. And I was like, I guess I'm going to try and be a novelist. Right. And luckily it didn't suck. Uh, this, <laughs> this book was Conspiracy of the Planet of the Apes. It came out in 2011, mm -hmm. uh, right when Rise of the Planet of the Apes was coming out. And it did well. And yeah. so eventually I wound up doing a sequel called Death of the Planet of the Apes with Titan because I no longer had the rights anymore to do it myself. Mm -hmm. So Titan hired me to do it. And then I thought, okay, this is what I'm going to do. I'm going to be a novelist. <laughs> and That's then amazing. a couple of years after that, I get a call from Josh Izzo, who was then the franchise director at Fox. And he said, hey, we're trying to figure out the Planet Apes timeline for a project we're working on. And I read your book. I think you know this stuff better than us. Do you want to be a consultant? Right. I was like, who says no to that? You know? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Oh, I guess you're calling an expert. I must be the expert. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. So I became the consultant on that, which led to consulting on Alien and Predator. And Josh's successor over there, Steve Zerlin, said to me, because he was happy with what I had done on the Predator Bible, said to me that if I can find any category that's not been taken mm. in publishing and find a company that wants to take that, they'll recommend me as the writer because I know the stuff, you know? Right. So I shopped the idea of an alien role-playing game around mm -hmm. for 18 months. Mm -hmm. And every company I went to was like, it's a one-hit wonder thing. It'll never sustain really? itself. How interesting. Again, the concept is so limited. I mean, it was every time you're going to be like, and then there was an alien, you know? And I was like, the universe is, I'm like, what? the universe is much bigger. Yeah, I know. I'm like, the universe is much bigger than that. There's been 40 years of graphic novels and all this stuff. And there's all these right. things we can tap into. And yeah. no one would listen to me. So I'm good friends with Joe LaFave. He runs Genuine Entertainment. He, he basically, he's younger than me. He's like maybe 10 years younger than me. I can't remember exactly. But I always tell people when I grow up, I want to be Joe LaFave. Because <laughs> Joe <laughs> connects um, licenses with the right publishers. And right. makes sure that, like, you know, these guys really love Alien. They'll be the ones who do the Alien. He makes this stuff happen, okay? <laughs> and so I went to him all frustrated. And I said, Joe, I can't find anybody. And I really want to do this Alien thing. And Joe had just started talking to, he, he'd been watching the rise of a company called Free League. Mm -hmm. and, and he was like, hey, Free League, I like your stuff. I want to work with you. What's your top 10 licenses that you want? And the top two were Alien and Blade Runner, which, you know, Free League ah. went and did a Blade Runner game after this, right? Yes. Mm -hmm. So Joe had just had that conversation with them two days before I called them and said, I can't find anyone to do Alien. Wow. There you go. That's so serendipitous moments. Yes. All comes yes. together. <laughs> so within 60 days, they had the contract and, and I was going to write this thing. But I was only supposed to write the the reference stuff, the history stuff, you know, right. all, all the canon stuff, because I knew that stuff. I wasn't supposed to write any rules, which I still haven't written rules. And I was I wasn't supposed to write adventures either. I was just going to write the canon stuff. And so as I'm writing the kind of stuff, I have a flavor to the way I wrote it, where it's got this attitude and you know, basically tells you, you know, 
basically don't be careful what's hiding in the trunk and things like that, you know. And so they asked me to go through the rules and make it quote sexy end quote a little bit, you know. Yeah, put, put have that voice there, going but, throughout. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, so it all it all matches, right? Mm-hmm. And then as I, I did that, and then whoever was working going to do the next adventure, the, the first adventure, which wound up being Chariot of Gods, mm-hmm. um, either they bailed or they were like, "Oh, I have no idea because I, I wasn't." You know, I, I'm sure. not part of freelance. You know, I'm just a freelancer. Mm-hmm. Um, and so freelance said, "Hey, do you want to take a stab at this?" Right. And I was like, "Well, I did game master for almost 20 years. Mm. I never thought I'd be writing an adventure, but I also never thought I'd be writing a novel, and that worked out. So, sure. yeah, each, each part of your career is like, sure, let's have a go. Really, that's so cool. And and that's the thing: if you don't take the chances on this stuff, you can't move ahead in this business. You know, right? If if you immediately doubt yourself you're not going to get anywhere. And, and I'm not saying be arrogant and go in and say, Oh, I can do anything. No. I mean, when I, when I decided I was going to write that novel, mm. I went and reread all my favorite novels of all time to look for, how did they describe these things? What did they do here? Right. How did they, how did they have me sitting on the edge of my seat? You know, mm-hmm. I, research is a big part of everything I do. Yeah. And that, that's definitely what's needed for, for stuff like alien, for stuff like Terminator, which as you said, certainly with the alien stuff, as I've sort of looked through other interviews with you, you were saying like, cause there's so much law, there's so much on it. Right. And you, there is so much about getting it in the right order and getting it right. Cause people will know. So I can imagine that, yeah, like you said, like with planet of the apes, all this thing going back and doing that research is so important. So then obviously, Alien and Planet of the Apes, they were like stuff that were for you growing up. Those were your, your favorite things because those were the ones that you pitched license for, right? Going back to that when you were thinking about doing comic book stuff. Well, I mean, my top have always been Star Wars and Star Trek. Right. Okay. Mm-hmm. I couldn't get Star Trek from IDW, and I, I was I wasn't stupid enough to think I could get Star Wars. You know what I, mean? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I was just nobody. No, and was... it's not stupid. It's being realistic, perhaps. <laughs> How's that? How's that? <laughs> yes, that, that's, that's good. You know, I mean, I was a nobody who was going to form a company just to do this back then. There's no way I would have gotten Star Wars. Star Wars is tied up with Dark Horse and, sure. and, and you know, all, all these bigger companies. So, yes, yeah, so I, I realized that was off the table back mm-hmm. then. I'm hoping that, you know, as my career moves forward, that won't be off the table. No, absolutely. Well, then this is good. If we were okay to circle back then to your game mastering there. So, like you said, as mm-hmm. that first session of D&D, you're a player. Everyone kills each other. Yeah, rocks fall. Everyone dies. Everyone kills themselves <laughs> for in, a, in a party. You go into shadows and then you become a game master. So, have you been one of those people who's been a forever game master have you done lots of different systems because it sounds like when you're saying i've never really written an adventure before have you was it just purely published stuff before you got into this foray of oh, oh, okay i never games? wrote i never wrote an adventure for public consumption okay right okay fair enough because fair enough. when i write my adventures mm. it's like if i gave it to you you'd be like I don't understand what's going on here. Right, but it yeah. all in my head with the notes in the scrawled in the corners and stuff like that. See. Um, so I was like, okay, how am I going to do this in a way? And here's the thing. Here, here's the thing that I don't think a lot of GMs realize. Mm-hmm. Um, when you play with a lot of the same people over and over again, mm-hmm. you understand those people and you know how to cater things specifically to what they're going to do. And it's not that you're railroading them, but you know, oh, I know that Jason is going to do this at this point. So I'm going to put this in here and let this spiral out of that. When you're doing it for public consumption, you don't know that. Mm-hmm. And, and so, and I had stopped game mastering, like, I think 15 years before mm-hmm. I wrote this thing, you know, mm-hmm. just because I didn't have any time anymore. Sure. I, I didn't play or, or game master. So once I started working for Rockstar, my life just became super busy all the time. 
Well, let's start off with Terminator then, if that's okay. Because like I, like you said, you sort of get into Alien, you do all these things, and then you sort of gone and then now done Terminator, which is a completely different franchise in the sense of like, obviously still 80s, still sci-fi, still dystopian to an extent. How was approaching that subject and that, that source material for certainly the, the source book compared to your previous projects? Terminator was a unique challenge, and that's because the license was for Terminator 1 and the Terminator 1 comics. Mm-hmm. Okay. Mm-hmm. Terminator is one of those licenses that like the, the people who made Terminator three are not at all the people who made Terminator two. Okay. Yeah. Not even the same production company type thing. Okay. Because they, mm-hmm. their licenses, what happened was the company that had Terminator rights, Carlton, I think it was uh, yeah. the, the company that had it back in the eighties folded. Right. And when they did the rights for Terminator got split up in like five different ways. Mm-hmm. So like when we see a new Terminator project, it's not necessarily from the last people from the, the no. last Terminator project we see. So the rights are broken up. So it was like, okay, you got to do this using these T1 stuff, mm-hmm. but we may get the rights to do other stuff for Terminator. So we also don't want to contradict the stuff that's in the other things. Right. So how do we talk about this stuff without talking about this stuff? You know, <laughs> that's what it came down to. I see. And it, it was it was a challenge. Um mm. because like with Alien, I was just like, ah, I'll pull this from this graphic novel here and this here. And oh look, these stories are almost similar. I can connect them and blah, 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 blah. Mm-hmm. Now I had to do that without doing it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So completely different sort of mindset in terms of yeah. preparing and stuff. Yeah, I think it came out good. I, I, I'm really happy with the way it turned out. And, you know, with the expansions that we were working on, I think I think yeah. it's it's building the universe in a really good way. And, like, one of my favorite things that I think I've done for Terminator is make sense out of a lot of stuff that didn't make sense. Right. Um, because it, you go to Dark Horse's comics and every Terminator has a serial number, which is a specific serial number, okay? Mm-hmm. But then you go to some other things and somebody thinks that T-800 is the name of that Terminator. Right. It's not though. It's the series mm-hmm, that he mm-hmm. is. So I established the make model series serial number for mm-hmm. this is how you do a Terminator's name. You know, I worked all that stuff out for it. So it all like people like, oh, that makes sense now. Mm-hmm. And it's something that needed to be made sense, you know. Mm-hmm. And I th- I think that's the benefit of doing these things because like you can clarify stuff that just needed it. And yeah. then these role-playing books often become the source books for people writing the next novels and whatnot. You know, exactly. It's literally what's happening with Alien right now. You mm-hmm. know, they're, they're giving those books to the next licensor and saying, here, here's your source book. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's how it happened with the West End Star Wars game in the 80s. When Timothy Zahn started writing Star Wars novels in the 90s, he would call Lucasfilm and be like, well, what's this gun called? And what's this called? And they're like, I don't know. Here, take this role-playing book. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, it's all the info's there. That's they've documented all their nerds. It's fine. <laughs> Even though like all that older stuff is now considered legends and not part of the current continuity, the guns are still the same. Like Hans Blaster is still called a DL44, and that was first called that in the role-playing game from 1987. Mm-hmm. Yeah, 87, right? Yeah, that's what I said. 87. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I thought I said 97 for a second. What do you call it? <laughs> What year is what this? Is, yeah. <laughs> what? Yeah, I, I, I've just traveled from the future. Oh, yeah, um, this is you living your own Terminator through this interview. What's yeah. the date? It's the fourth. What year? <laughs> um, yeah, so it's great to be able to contribute to these things because you know right. it's being part of these things that were like that that were important to me as a child. Right. 
Yeah, and, and, and important to a lot of people uh, growing up and stuff. I was reading the reviews of the, the Terminated RPG and some people are like, oh my goodness, I've been waiting for something like this to play these sort of stories, which I think, and I, you know, I hadn't actually considered it because I, I will admit I am more of an Alien fan myself. But when I was thinking back about what I know about Terminator and then looking through stories, I thought actually the stories that you can create, so this idea obviously of a futuristic war, but being being able to go back and stuff. And I think at one point you, there's a mention about like running into versions of yourself from alternate timelines. Right. Yeah, that was. A, I had fun with that. <laughs> right, and I was just like that instantly opens because that that feels like something like instantly is like oh that's going to be interesting for players because players always muck up and you're like well, who who is this person? It's not me, but it is me. And I just for me that's that's the sort of story that I do want to tell. And so I was like, there's so much here actually that I hadn't considered because I, again, I I just for me I, unfortunately Terminator passed me by. But I was like, well, actually there's so much here that I can take forward from it. So yeah, no, I really I really enjoyed uh, reading it through and going oh there's like bits I can do and introducing that sort of the, these sort of stories to a new generation of people because unfortunately it's one of those things where like maybe there are people nowadays who haven't seen the original Terminator or haven't read right. the original comics and stuff so having a role-playing game where you know, they can get into it and then have some source material to watch at the same time actually is a, it's such a nice experience in a way that you were introducing it into an accessible way perhaps. Thank you. No, I appreciate that. And I, I'm really, I'm really happy to hear that you picked up on that, the particular thing about the alternate you thing, because I, I had so much fun with that. I was thinking, oh man, what if, what if someone dies in the middle of a mission right? and, and they needed that player character? I mean, they could pick up somebody else like a civilian or something and work that into it. But wouldn't it be great if an alternate them shows up from an alternate timeline and, and we made rules that explain two attributes would be flipped because you're from another mm. timeline. And so, yeah, I, I'm really proud of that. Thank you for noticing. Yeah, no, no. I Because, I, again, I don't know any other game that not only gives rules for that, but actually sort of encourages that. Because, you know, I think of games like, like maybe Doctor Who, perhaps. Obviously, I know Star Trek, in a sense, you can have, like, time travel, travel sort of thing. But actually saying, what happens should you run into yourself or how to have stories with that? I just was like, that's something I've not seen before. So I, I just thought that was really interesting. And then to go to, say, Carbon Grey, which is obviously based on uh, a graphic novel series and stuff, that was obviously that's slightly different. Because like, I guess, because for Terminator, obviously, you've got films and, and graphics. And then this is just, I, again, I don't, I will admit, I don't know much about Carbon Grey. I wonder, mm -hmm. could you describe what Carbon Grey is for people who might not have heard of it? Real quick before we do that, I just want to say that Alien is from Free League. Terminators from Nightfall Games, yeah, yeah, and Carbon Grey is from Magnetic Press Play. Yeah, three separate companies. Yeah, you've yeah. been you've just been incredibly busy. All, yeah, just want to clarify, we're not all talking about the same company. Yeah, though. not at all, yeah. not at all. Yeah, you've been incredibly busy writing all these things, but yeah, uh, Carbon Grey. If you could describe what it is for people who have not heard of it before. Absolutely, um, it's like a diesel punk alternate World War One, and uh, so the country's names are. are they're not they're not France and Spain and things like that, but they're they're things they're like, oh, okay, that's supposed to be France. You know, it's, it's that type of thing. Mm -hmm. And reality is basically breaking down in this thing. So so there's things called continuity fluxes. Okay. Mm -hmm. And what that what that is 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 like it's a rip in time and space that might bring in something from another time. So you'll see people, even though it's World War One, people might have like assault rifles that have laser sights and stuff like that because there's weird stuff that's just being brought into the wrong time period here. Mm. And history's being messed up. The whole graphic novel revolves around these two sisters that are key to keeping reality from breaking apart. Okay. Mm -hmm. So obviously we don't center on that in the game. No. We center on the broader world. Um, mm -hmm. Carbon Grey is based on West End Games system, okay? Mm -hmm. The D6 system from the 1980s that started with the Star Wars game mm -hmm. um, back then. It's not the current Star Wars rules. I was a big fan of that stuff. And when 
I was working with Magnetic Press's parent company, Lionforge. They decided that they wanted to, that we're going to open a game department. Okay. And they, they said, hey, you know games, right? Didn't you work for a game company? And at this point, I, I hadn't done the alien thing yet. No. They were remembering Rockstar Games and not realizing that's not tabletop. And I'm like, yeah, yeah, no, yeah, I can do that. That's, that's me. Yeah, yeah, yeah. What do you need? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because <laughs> I was like, oh, I still want to do this, right? Yeah. At that point, I had just gotten a couple of months before that, I had gotten the alien deal uh, through Joe. Mm-hmm. So none of that had been written yet. It hadn't come out yet. And I no. got the job on Lineforge and I was like, okay, so I guess I'm going to be doing other role playing stuff. Right. So yeah. I said, okay, so what's our rule system? And they're like, what? Oh no. <laughs> like, I'm like, all right, well, we need like two and a half years and we need a budget to create a rule system. Mm-hmm. They're like, what? No, no, we don't, we, we don't want to do that. Uh, I'm like, okay, then we need to get a rule rights to a rule system that we can use. Let me see what I can find. And I immediately wanted the West End game system because I love those rules. I, mm-hmm. I I feel like it's the grandfather of of modern gaming because the mm-hmm. whole dice pool system, a lot of the things that you see in these new games, like they're much more streamlined than it was in the West End game. Yes, but you can no. see clearly this is where this came from. So at the time, I didn't I did not realize that the people that owned it were right in front of my face because I did what didn't wasn't didn't know that they were tied to um uh drive through RPG because it would have been really simple to just contact drive through RPG oh. and say hey <laughs> yeah that would have been more efficient right <laughs> yes so instead I wound up doing this internet search and then I found the Twitter account of the guy who used to own the company but passed away a few years ago and I wound up tracking down his sister and I wound up doing all this stupid stuff oh, no. to want to get back to drive through RPG <laughs> I was like oh never mind you went on your own little hero's journey but you yeah. didn't learn anything <laughs> yeah no I, I, I learned just look for the most obvious thing first dumbass That's fair. What, a, what a great what a great lesson <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, so we worked at, we have a license with them to create stuff with the West End Games logo because mm-hmm. the D6 system is open license, but we didn't want to just use the generic system. We wanted to be able to draw upon the library right. of stuff that they actually did and have their logo on it and, mm-hmm. and have it be have it be something that was respectful of what they have done in the past because they had done so much in the 90s, you know? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, and so Carbon Gray is the first game that we've done with that rule system. Mm-hmm. Uh, and we have lots of stuff planned. Um, right. Unfortunately, you'll have to have me back on probably in January because I can tell you a lot more stuff then. Of what's no worries. Yeah. Well, don't worry. I, I will hit you up for that, Drew. That's not a problem. Because uh, yeah, because again, I I've only just come across Carbon Gray today uh, when I was doing my research. But yeah, the system is really interesting because again, I know obviously you get your your dice codes and so having that number of d6s in your pool. But then when you roll them, adding it up, the value up. And seeing if that beats something, I actually thought that was more interesting than some of the other dice pool systems, which is you roll your d6s and then it's like, oh, you get a number of sixes. That's a success. I actually prefer the adding up stuff. Really? Then, okay. Well, because yeah. I think it's more exciting, right? Because you could roll really terribly or really well, <laughs> rather yeah, than yeah. going, oh, one only one of those dice was really important, which is the the d6. So I, I was actually I was like, actually, that's quite good. I, I so yeah, I quite like that idea. Of like, oh. I just make it and, stuff. and then having cool. the, the, was it the margins of success as well. So yeah, really. yeah, that's good because like, that's, that's, that is the core of what 
the West End system was. Okay. Mm -hmm. That was the one rule I was like, we can't change this. I don't yeah. want to change this. Okay. No. Now, what we did is we did do the uh, D6MV, which is the magnetic variant of D6. Right. Yeah. You changed it slightly for this. Yeah. We didn't change that part at all because that part is perfect. Okay. Yeah. But what we did, the, like the, the initiative rules and things mm -hmm. like that, there was too much math going on yeah. that was slowing down combat. Mm -hmm. So we came up with simpler ways to get around that. And, and so far, the fan base has been like, oh, this works better. This works better. So yeah. I think we, we, successfully modernized the West End game system while staying true to the core of it. And you definitely say in the book saying, for those people who've played the previous ones, you always acknowledge, like, yep. we appreciate you to be. And I think that's really nice, actually, that you're not you're not hiding it or anything like that. You're just being like, hey, we know it used to be this, but we've done this. And actually saying what the changes are. Because sometimes, you know, when you get like those little erratas at the back and you're like, entirely writing, you're like, I don't know what has changed. Here you <laughs> yeah, can actually yeah. see where you've changed it. And I, yeah, I definitely was like, oh, it feels very transparent. It feels like, I don't know, accessible? I don't know. It just feels like you're opening people in. So it is for yeah. everyone. It's for new players and for those people who remember the old system. So yeah, really. And that, that's really important to me too, because it's like, I, I don't want anybody to think, oh, they're changing my system. I want them to know, right. no, we're respecting your system, but we're also trying to modernize this here too. So don't think we're trying to screw you over or anything like mm -hmm. that. I, I respect this stuff and I want to bring more to it. I don't want to destroy what came before. You know? No, absolutely not. Yeah, you want to build on it yeah. and, and acknowledge where you come from. I, I get that. I get that a lot. So yeah, it's kind of been a big year for you. Not only have you got the sort of the last sort of Heart of Darkness, so the, the last in this sort of trilogy for Alien coming out, you've also got, you know, you've had Terminators just come out and Carbon Gray is coming out. So you've got a lot of like a lot of fingers and a lot of pies, a lot of plates spinning. Yes. Um I guess how do you work <laughs> in the nicest way? Like I'm guessing you're just incredibly motivated and just, but is there like a, a, not even a method to your madness is it just like today I'm going to just work on this or do you sp spend weeks at a time like how, how do you go from doing all these projects I guess it seems like a really stupid question to ask a freelancer who must do this all the no. time but for me it just feels like you've done such such an amazing a lot of work I don't know how you'd have time to do all, all, all these amazing projects and probably more that you can't talk about yeah, no, there's a lot of stuff I can talk about, too, but you're absolutely right. It's like, I mean, I'll tell you, since the pandemic started, I have been working harder than I ever have in my life because there's all these books, opportunities. Once I started winning the awards, people are contacting me saying, hey, we want you to work in this game. I don't have to look for work now. I worked at Lion Forge as senior development editor for, an, for their animation department, okay? Mm -hmm. And when the pandemic hit, they let me go because they closed my department. Mm -hmm. And I was like, what am I going to do for like, a week before a billion people were like, do this refinancing. For us. <laughs> yeah. So it's, I think, I want to say this year, I've had almost a dozen books that are coming out this, mm. this past year. And before that, I had a dozen books to my name before that for the 10 years of my writing career. You know, right. So, so it, it's crazy. But I usually work at least 12 hours a day. I, I Weekends don't exist. How do I say this? I put on 30 pounds since I started working on this stuff. Because I, I see. Don't, yeah. Outside no longer exists yes. to you. Is that what you're saying? Yes. Okay, fair enough. The funny thing is the convention circuit just started again, right? Because right, I used yes. to do a lot of conventions. But I've already done more conventions this year than I normally do in, in a regular year. Mm -hmm. And um, since I started doing conventions, I've lost 12 pounds. Yeah. So it's like, okay, so I'm moving again. Yeah. So you, you got the exercise routine should you need it. You're like, yeah, I'll just do a couple more conventions. That'll do exactly. me for the rest of the year. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. So I'm so happy. I'm like, let's get back down to what we were beforehand. Sure. But, um, in regards to the process, I would love to be able to put on a calendar, I will work on Terminator for sure. two hours today and yeah. then on Carbon Gray for a half an hour. And <laughs> it, it, it's like I have this looming deadline on Carbon Gray, but this Terminator thing is burning in my brain and I need right. to do this now. You know? Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 
and I know I'm smart enough at this point to know that if I don't do it now, I will never get it out as great as it's going to be if I do it now. So I got to do it. Mm -hmm. Um, And something that uh, has been happening a lot, and I've been trying to explain to publishers, and I think they're starting to get it with me, is that like, we can't have like we can't have a, a a schedule where you need a third of it by this time, a third of it by this time, a third of it this time. Right. It's not going to work because what you think I'd be working on for the first third, I'm actually not writing anything. Yeah. I'm watching a button of Terminator. I'm taking notes. I'm reading comics. I'm doing all this stuff. I don't have anything to turn into you at that point. No. I have this crazy man's notebook, but online, you know, <laughs> on yeah. Box, that you'll be like, what the hell is this crap? You know, mm-hmm. but if I don't do that, we're not going to get what we're going to get after that. Right. Because you, know? you need to do all that prep and all that research in order then to be like, OK, this is this is true to the law as you know it. Or, or like like you can take like you were saying before, like reading these books, you're like, OK, so that's how they describe this. That's how I should like sort of emulate that in, in my adventures when I'm writing them. Yeah, no, I get that. Because of this, there's no there's no routine. There's no rhyme or reason. It's like <laughs> suddenly I'm going to be working for 18 hours and sleeping two hours, and then the next day I will sleep 18 hours. You know, good. <laughs> good. I'm glad you said that. So please don't please don't only have two hours of sleep. <laughs> um, I mean, sometimes that happens too, and it's like you know, I did all these conventions. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I did San Diego Comic Con, followed directly by Tampa Bay Comic Con, and then I came home and had COVID, and then so I was super sick for two a few weeks. And I couldn't work. And so everything, all the projects are behind now, you know, mm-hmm. and sure. then I, I start to feel better. I get some work done. And now uh, then I went to uh, what was the next show? I went to Dragon Con, followed by Salt Lake City. I came back from Salt Lake City. I was fine. I was home for a week, did work yeah. and went to Granite City Comic Con. And from there straight to some other show. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm not sure where it was. I'm, I may be confused. Salt Lake may have been the last one, regardless of any of that nonsense. Yeah, trust me, is, like when I when I saw you, I was like, "What date can I get you for the interview?" I'm like, oh, "I'm sure somewhere I'll find like an hour." If you, that's if right. I, did, I sent you that, didn't I? Yeah, I sent you, you know, that. I was, like, well, crazy I'm, I was like, "I'm glad you're getting out." <laughs> no, no, I, and I enoyed doing this. I loved it. Of course, yeah, yeah. I think the last show was Salt Lake. Mm-hmm. I came back from Salt Lake. Yeah, that's right. The other one was Silicon Valley. I came back from Salt Lake and then I had pneumonia. And yeah. I've had pneumonia for the past few weeks. And I'm I'm much better now. But oh my God, two weeks ago when we were supposed to have that interview, I was like, I'm not doing this. I would not make you do it because you have pneumonia. I mean, non like COVID stuff and, and pneumonia, not fun stuff and not and very serious stuff. So no, I'm very glad that we were able to reschedule on your time for that as well. Yeah, I mean, I, I, right now I have no life. Um, right now I'm, <laughs> trying to, I'm trying to build the future so that I can have the life I want. That of course. Sense. If somebody wanted to get into, I mean, you've done so much in your career, like like comics and, and graphic novels, and 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 if you, if somebody wants to get into specifically writing role playing games, writing for a franchise, where do you think they would start, or what what big sort of tip would you give them if they were getting into it? Okay, so this is a, this is an interesting question, a very interesting question, and something that I actually do panels about because people do not really understand how this works. Right. I have people come up to me at conventions and they're like, hey, I've been writing this Star Wars novel for mm-hmm. the past two years and um, I want to submit it to Lucasfilm. And I'm like, they're never going to look at it. Yeah. And, and they're like, what? What are you talking about? I'm like, they don't want that. They want to see that you have written a novel for something else. And they're like, hey, that guy's novel is pretty good. And he's got all these followers. Let's ask him to do a Star Wars novel. Mm-hmm. So I always tell people who are doing this, I was like, file off the serial numbers, make it your own space fantasy, mm-hmm. change things around, remove things that are clearly too Star Wars and put that out, get followers. Okay. Mm-hmm. Uh, because once that comes out and if that does well, 
then Lucasfilm's gonna be like, hey, that guy, you know, kind of almost like Star Wars. We should have him write a Star Wars novel, you know? <laughs> um, they're, they're never gonna just be like, oh, thanks for this fan book. Yes, we're gonna print this. Yeah. Because they don't even do the printing. It's a license to a publishing company, mm-hmm. you know? Mm-hmm. And, and they don't want submissions either. They want people who they know are in the right position already. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's it's kind of a catch-22 because like, how do you get ever get there if they're only gonna take people who are there already? Mm-hmm. But you get there by by doing your own thing mm-hmm. and moving forward. My story is not how these things normally work. The whole, <laughs> I'm going to get this license and I'm going to go after Planet Apes and stuff like that. That shouldn't have worked. It's crazy that it did and it will never work now because sure. the type of money that these companies want now for these things, because they know what their licenses are worth, there's no way you'll be able to pay for that in your pocket. Yeah. Um, nowadays, it's all about, hey, you're a company. Okay, you want to do this license with us? Okay. Let's see your books. I need to know you have the money to do this. What have you done before? Mm-hmm. Are you going to be an embarrassment to us? Blah, 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 blah. This is the way it goes. And there's a vetting system that has mm-hmm. to happen. It's not some schmuck walking off the street saying, hey, I want to do a Planet of the Apes novel. Anymore. Mm-hmm. And, and it never should have been in the first place. Honestly, the more I know about the business, I'm like, how the hell did that even happen? <laughs> Again, serendipity. That's how, that's how I say it. But you, yeah, I, I definitely see that. Like having a portfolio of other work and stuff like, you know, and building that stuff up first. Yeah, it is the way to go, right? And, I, and yeah, I definitely feel that on that front. Thank you so much, Drew, for coming to chat with me. I'm so glad we got to chat after all this time. I'm glad you are feeling better. And I honestly, like I, when I was reading through Heart of Darkness, uh, I've been very excited because I'm, I'm hopefully going to do the, all three, you know, Chariot of the Gods, Destroyer of the Worlds, and Heart of Darkness, all, not all in one night, because I know that's going to kill everyone and me. There's um, no way that could all be in one night. Those no. Are like- <laughs> Destroyer Worlds alone is 24 hours of play. So Absolutely, yeah. I've, I've played in a live stream of it, and I, yeah, incredibly enjoyable, and I think your writing of it, of Glalian, and of Terminator, and of uh, Carver Gregor, I definitely, it's very evocative, and I definitely feel like there are bits in it, and I'm like, oh, I want to dig into it further, so I will be, I'll do my own research after we finish this interview. Um, yeah. But where can we find you on social media? Where can we look uh, for other books? And do you have any other upcoming projects that you can talk about uh, that you'd like to signal please? So that will give you that opportunity at this point. So you can find me on Facebook, Andrew E. Gaska. The C is not on my personal Facebook page, but I always talk to fans, you know, uh, send me a message. Don't just send me a friend request. Send me a friend request with a message that says, hey, I'm a fan who wants to talk about this. Otherwise, I'm like, who is this person and why should I friend them? You know, also I have a blog and actually there's a the, i talk about canon in terminator and canon in in alien there's actually some canon lists based on the stuff that i did at 20th century studios over on that blog it's uh roguereviewer.wordpress.com mm-hmm. and what do you call it i have a kickstarter that's going on right now it's uh it's called critical millennium by magnetic press uh, critical millennium is a graph novel that i wrote 12 years ago mm-hmm. and it is being re-released in expanded edition. The, the coolest thing about it is that not only is it getting expanded edition, it's getting a West End Games D6 role-playing game. Or two. It's my own sci-fi dark future storyline. Yeah. It, it's 2,000 years in the future, and humankind has pretty much messed up the entire planet, and it's not going to support us for more than another 200 years. Mm-hmm. So a couple of scientists find this rich kid who just inherited more money than, than God, and he's uh, they convince him to put his money into funding a faster than light speed uh, engine that can take humanity to other planets. Basically there's government that doesn't want this to happen because they're afraid they're going to lose control of the population. Mm -hmm. There's fanatic groups who think that we, we were born here. We need to die here. There's terrorist things going on. It's, it's a crazy, 
it's a crazy dark universe that actually it looks at the extremes of what we have in our own society now. Mm. Oh, I, 12 years ago, and actually it works for now too. It definitely uh, works for now, as I was about yes. to say. <laughs> And that, that's so cool as well that like obviously something that you sort of kept, you made and created 12 years ago and now has its own RPG. Like I'm sure you're keeping the licenses very close to your chest on that one. <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, I, I, I was shocked when they wanted to do it. I was like, oh, okay. I thought, I thought, I mean, Critical Millennium came out and the issue sold really well. Okay. In fact, we sold out of all the issues. Um, and then the collection came out and unfortunately the publisher that was coming out at the time, Archaea, mm-hmm. uh, that was putting it out, they had just got bought by another company. And the collection and a bunch of other collections that came out at that time came out and the, the public never knew about them. They just sort of got, oh. they were never advertised or anything. And so the hardcover got lost. And I have still to this day, I, I go to conventions. I still have a couple of the old ones left and, and people come to me and they're like, I never knew this was collected. And I'm oh. like, Yeah, that's the problem. No one ever knew it was collected. No one knows. I'm trying yeah. to get the word out. Yeah. So what's great about this new edition is that I'm expanding it. It's like, we had certain editorial choices that had to be made because of like, okay, we need to limit page count and we need to do this and we need to do that. And there's stuff in it that I was like, you know, this could have been so much better. Instead of having nine panels on this page, I can rearrange this stuff so that we have four panels on this and five on this and it reads much clearer and things like that. So I've been able to do that and go in and make it the story that it should have been if it hadn't been the last part of it hadn't been rushed. So I'm very happy about that. Magnetic Press is, is doing that Kickstarter you know, come on by. There's lots of goodies that if you if you're back, you can get. And it's uh, I'm very very excited about it. Brilliant. Well, I will leave it there. Thank you so much, Drew. It's been an absolute pleasure to chat to you. Thank you. I'm hoping to do more of these special Q and A bonus episodes in the future, including Q and As on the one shots we've run here at What Am I Rolling. If you have a question or think of an RPG designer you'd like to see interviewed on this podcast, let us know. Our email address is What Am I Rolling Podcast at gmail.com. And that's it. Great. Thanks for listening and happy holidays, everyone.